This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A new report from Experian tells us who are buying cars and how much they're paying for them. We'll give you our conclusions on that coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based in Maine, and we haven't discussed the weather before the show started. So uh, tell us all about what's going on in Maine this week, Chris. It's got to be quite exciting. The beginning of June, uh, summer, people flocking to Maine. Tell us about it. The snowbirds are returning to Maine, I'll say that. But uh, after a very on-brand, cold and rainy uh, Memorial Day weekend, we are slated for upper 70s and 80s for the next couple of weeks, so I'll take it. Yeah, sounds terrific. I love Maine. I've got to get back there one of these days. I promise not to stay overnight with you guys in your historic house, but uh, you're probably going to promise me to do that too. Uh, (laughs) Don't even think about it, Nirad. You are not coming here. But, uh, you know, I'd love to check out Maine again. I have fond memories of it from dating before, uh, well, just a long time back. So this week, our special guest is Alexei Verneri. She is the co-founder of a company called Digital Airstrike, which is kind of an intriguing name for a company. They're a cons- what they call themselves is a consumer engagement technology company. And the reason, one of the reasons we're talking to Alexei is they have just bought a site called bestride.com. And it's a car buying site, so uh, it's a a site that allows consumers to search on new and used cars online from car dealers across the country. So we're going to talk to her about that and so many other things, what she's doing in terms of social media, because that's a lot of what Digital Airstrike does. It's kind of a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at the car business from the retail side. In the road test segment, Chris will take a look at what, Chris? Tell us all about, well, not all about, but a little about what you're going to be talking with us about Uh, in the next segment. Yes, not all about, but a little bit about the 2021 Cadillac Escalade ESV. Oh, wow. The ESV Escalade. Well, that sounds very, very cool. And I was driving the 2022 Hyundai Tucson. That is an all-new version of the Tucson. I actually drove uh, various iterations of it right around, well, guess where? Tucson, Arizona. Uh, is where they introduced it. So I had a chance to do that. So I'm going to be giving my report on what I found out during that lengthy set of drives. But before we do any of that, let's take a look at the week's automotive news. Uh, Here's a lead story for us, I think, and that is Jaguar F-Type for 2022 is changing itself uh, pretty markedly, I think. And I think this is a really smart move that uh, Jaguar is going about here. You know, uh, the F-Type, I don't know how you feel about the F-Type, Chris, but I have always thought it was uh, undersung. I I have liked the vehicle a lot, and it just doesn't seem to get the respect that I think it deserves. And I think part of the the issue with that was it had such a vast lineup of engines that you really couldn't put your finger on what the F-Type was. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's it's always been such a beautiful car, but you know, looking at it, you think, man, it'd be great with a V8. Uh, so uh, I'm happy to see that that's where they're moving with it. But the V6 was great, but but Jaguar uh, and Land Rover, for that matter, uh, they make a great V8. 
Yeah, they do. And I think you could buy uh, F-types with a four-cylinder engine, a six-cylinder engine, and then uh, several V8s or at least one V8 and uh, supercharged, I think, as well. This time around and for 2022, they're it's kind of interesting how they're doing this, too. In 2021, they did basically a facelift on the car and just changed it a bit. And I think we talked about the, that uh, with the stylist in one of our early episodes of uh, the America on the Road podcast. And now they're, they're changing the engine lineup. There is going to be an all-new 444-horsepower uh, F-Type. They, they call the P450. And then the 575 horsepower uh, existing, it was kind of the existing top of the line, F-Type R. Uh, so that will be out there. And I think this just makes the lineup more coherent for the buyer. They don't have to figure out, geez, which engine should I take? Or do I, is this hot enough? Do I, I, this makes it very clear you're going to get V8 power. Uh, you're going to get 0 to 60 in 4.4 seconds with the lesser of the engines at a maximum speed of 177 miles an hour. And with the more powerful engine, I think uh, 0 to 60 is uh, under 4 seconds and maybe more like 3.5 or something like that. So I just think this is a, a wise move to kind of solidify and not if you give people too many choices they end up not choosing anything right i mean they they call that the tyranny of choice and i i think we both agree that the, this is probably a quite a good move by a jaguar for 2022 yes performance to match those looks can't hurt anybody and it is a lovely car with a great interior i think it is a good looking car uh, i like the fact that you can get it as a, a soft top convertible kind of a classic uh, convertible, uh, almost roadster. So just, uh, I think, a ton to like about the uh, the new lineup for the Jaguar F-Type. And I, I think you've got a, a vehicle introduction you want to talk about too, right? Yeah, just this morning, actually, uh, Toyota made an announcement for a 2022 uh, vehicle. Yes, it's another crossover, but the name here might surprise uh, many people. Um, so this is a vehicle that came out uh, overseas last year. It's the Corolla Cross. And uh, as you might guess, it's based loosely on the Corolla. It shares a platform with uh, the Corolla, the CHR, and a few other vehicles in the Toyota lineup. Uh, but it will slot into the automaker's uh, catalog between the CHR and the RAV4. And uh, we'll have a, quite a bit more passenger space, I think, than the CHR up front. Although I've seen reports that legroom might be around the same in the back. It'll be offered with a two-liter four-cylinder engine and either front wheel or all-wheel drive. And Jack, I can't help but notice or think about this. This is another crossover to Toyota's expansive crossover lineup. What do you think about uh, the move to do that? Well, I think it makes all the sense in the world. And I think what we're finding here, and uh, maybe <laughs> invisible because it's so obvious, is that crossovers are the new cars. I mean, people are really less interested in this, the standard kind of sedan car and what they are buying really as their everyday car, their everyday transportation, is a crossover of some sort. And so because everybody's buying crossovers, the, the car makers are kind of naturally gravitating to building more of them and finding little slots where they can uh, add a new one. And I think it, it's so sensible because crossovers are just, uh, I think, a lot easier for people to uh, live with day to day than the typical sedan is. You're right. And, uh, you know, as much as I've complained about uh, people not needing crossovers, they do actually present a very 
uh, strong argument in terms of use case for families. It's, it just is easier to haul kids around uh, in a crossover, no matter what it's called. But uh, you know, this looks to be a compelling option. You know, the the they haven't announced pricing or release date. It's a 22, so we should probably see it later this year. Um, but you know, the more things that they can stretch that platform or any platform to use, I guess it's a win for them with a you know a little bit uh, lower development costs, and they're probably going to sell a ton of them. So. I can't really argue with yeah, it. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. And I haven't seen photos of it, but uh, I'm, I'm wondering if the styling is as, I, I guess, kind of radical as the Sage R is, or if it's a little bit more mainstream, or maybe a lot more mainstream, more kind of Corolla uh, conservative. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, because I, I think in a lot of ways, the CHR, you either love it or hate it kind of situation. I don't think that's particularly good for a, a mainstream vehicle. So I, I'm really curious to see what this is going to look like. It absolutely is more mainstream than a CHR. It's somewhere between a Corolla and a RAV4, if you can imagine that. Uh, but yeah, I'll let you get a look at it. We could debate the looks a little bit later on, but it definitely is more uh, mainstream than a CHR by a long shot. Got it. Got it. Well, we promised you information about this Experian study, so here it is, and what uh, Experian has found, and of course Experian is a, a credit reporting bureau, uh, and they did what they call the state of the automotive finance market uh, for 2021, so they're letting us know what's going on. And um, gee, go figure, uh, cars are, people are uh, uh, getting bigger loans because cars are more expensive, right? So <laughs> the average new vehicle loan amount was 35000 a little over $35,000 for the first quarter of this year. Last year, it was about $33,000, so uh, more expensive. The new car payment was up uh, to $577 a month. Wow, think of that, almost $600 a month in a car payment. Uh, that's that seems dreadful to me for, for some reason. <laughs> that shows you how, how long ago it's uh, has been since I bought a car with a car loan. Uh, I just don't want to do that. What uh, what it really pointed out here is that there are kind of two types of people out there. There are people who can afford new cars and buy new cars, and then there's a, a large number of people who can't and just don't. What uh, the other end of the scale, uh, the people who buy new cars, of course, have uh, great credit ratings. That's kind of to be expected. They have uh, good or better credit ratings. And then the people who are buying new cars with subprime credit is dipping. It's going down. And you could say that's either good or bad, depending on how you look at it. You could say, oh, it's a shame that lower income people or people with bad, uh, poorer credit, let's put it that way, uh, are not able to buy new cars. Or you could say, hey, it's really good that these people are not extending themselves to buy new cars when there's so many great used cars out there uh, that are probably better bets for them in terms of being a purchase. So you know, what's your take on what's going on in the auto finance game, if you have one, Chris? <laughs> I have several. I think that there's a big, not big, I, I think there's a measurable gap between the people who should be buying cars with those sorts of payments and people who, uh, for one reason or another, believe that stretching the loan out over a longer period of time and making a lower payment is is a, a smart financial decision. So, you know, I think the the rise of seven to 10-year auto loans uh, shows us that vehicles are not only more expensive, which we knew, but also that people are sort of stretching to meet those those financial commitments when they might maybe not should be doing that, I guess is the best way to put that. Um, but for me, you know, looking at the used market right now, it's it's tough to even to advocate for that because the vehicles there are increasing 
have increased significantly over the last year. Uh, we talked a bunch of times about not knowing how long that'll last, but uh, right now it's a difficult time to be buying anything, especially a vehicle, I think. Yeah, well, we're seeing inflation uh, running rampant through the country right now, and uh, that's really a tax on everybody. So uh, we're encountering that. So happy days <laughs> to everyone. Uh, in the road test segment, which is coming up, uh, we'll have happier days, I think, talking about the 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Chris was driving that. And I will give you my take on the all-new 2022 Hyundai Tucson. They're a very popular crossover utility. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you. And we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad with you. And it is road test time. We're excited about the road test vehicles we have. And I'm excited to uh, talk with Chris about the uh, Cadillac Escalade, which is the vehicle he's going to review. What do you think about it, Chris? I was excited to get behind the wheel. It had been, I would say, several years, five or six or maybe even more since I'd driven an Escalade. And it's been through a couple of revisions since then. And the one for 2021, it's it's all new. So uh, this is the ESV, so this is the longer wheelbase, longer version of the vehicle overall. It takes a very large SUV and stretches it for you know more third row seating space and more cargo space inside. But the saying holds true that you've, you might have heard some people say that there are Cadillacs and then there is the Escalade, and that is completely true, especially with this vehicle. Uh, brand new for 2021, as I said, it's got a 38-inch curved OLED display in the dash. Now that's split into three different screens. There's the gauge cluster, uh, which is digital this time around. It can display an AR, which is augmented reality camera view of the road ahead of the vehicle. It can display maps. And then also at night, it has a what's called a night vision feature, uh, which helps you see deer and other people in the road. And my wife found that kind of uh, freaky, a little bit disturbing, Jack. What do you think about features like that? Well, I wonder about the augmented reality. I mean, does it show better looking people along the side of the road or, you know, lovelier scenery or, uh, you know, I, maybe that, <laughs> that that's taking it to the logical uh, or maybe illogical extreme. But, you know, I, I, I love technology. I think sometimes it works and sometimes it's gimmicky. Uh, did you feel it was gimmicky? Well, and I actually posted this on Instagram the first day I had the, the vehicle, the camera seems at least to me to be completely unnecessary uh, because you can see what's happening in front of the vehicle but when you're using navigation and when the safety features are activated it, it shows you those items imprinted onto the scenery in front of the vehicle now while you're driving you know you have a camera that's basically on a screen in front of you while you're also watching the same thing take place in real life in front of you um, oncoming cars and things i think it's a little bit distracting for my own tastes but i think for some people especially if you're in like an urban environment it could be very helpful uh, who knows yeah i think in terms of pointing out points of interest or uh, you know just where you are in terms of street names and stuff like that that can be pretty cool uh, like you I, I i think so many people just love to look at screens we're riveted by screens we look at screens all the time I, I, you'll go to a basketball game something like that and people will be watching the the big screen on the scoreboard as opposed to watching the basketball game unfold right in front of them it's it's kind of interesting how we're uh, program to do that. Yeah, you know, I will say, like I said, I, I would much rather just watch the road ahead of me, but I could definitely see a, a use for that. But 
In any case, this is the, uh, as I mentioned, the Escalade ESV, so the longer version. This has a 6.2-liter V8 engine, uh, 420 horsepower, 460 pound-feet of torque with a 10-speed automatic transmission. Uh, the vehicle is offered in rear-wheel drive. My test model had four-wheel drive. Thankfully, we don't have the weather here right now to test that out. Uh, but what I will say is that even though it's a Cadillac and even though it's an Escalade, it is still a capable SUV with uh, towing of up to 7,900 pounds. Uh, I think that's with four-wheel drive and the gas engine. So uh, still strong enough to pull a boat and still strong enough to pull the whole family along with it and in extreme comfort while doing so. This vehicle had quilted tan leather, and they call it beige leather interior, uh, with very light-colored carpeting. And with a family and two small kids, I can tell you that I spent most of the week stressing very hard about footprints on the carpet and anything that could have been dropped. So if you have a family, maybe the darker interior option is going to be a good choice for you. Um, this vehicle did come equipped with Cadillac's Super Cruise, which is a semi, I'm going to put a stress on that word, semi-autonomous driving feature that works on select highways uh, here in Maine. I think that includes uh, I-295 and I-95. And I was able to test it out the other day going on 295 in the midst of Lots and lots of traffic, people coming into Maine for their holiday. And for the most part, it worked uh, very well. It's very easy to activate. You just turn on the adaptive cruise control. And if you're on an approved road, you can hit uh, another button on the steering wheel. And the steering wheel has a light that will turn green and let you know that it's activated. It's a little bit unnerving at first, especially around large trucks. And my wife didn't find it very entertaining at all. But uh, it does keep the vehicle in the lane. It does maintain a safe speed. And it does keep an eye on the cars around you. Um, for my purposes, I think, you know, I would probably try it out again in a little bit less crowded highway or on a less crowded highway, but uh, overall very easy to use. And I think, you know, for a lot of people on long haul drives, that, that's a big benefit. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I just don't know whether I can ever get comfortable with that or not. And I, I think I've said this before on the show, and I, I hate repeating myself, but when I'm behind the wheel of the car, I feel like I just should drive the car. If I have to pay attention anyway... I might as well be steering, right? It's like I, I used to own a boat. I had a boat for a long, long time, a sailboat. And when I was on the sailboat, I prefer to be steering the sailboat than just sitting on the sailboat and having somebody else steer or do it, just letting itself steer, uh, which it can do. Because why not? You're there. But I understand the point of it. And there, we have different flavors of ice cream because people like different things, right? So not for me necessarily, but I think a, a great technical advance. Absolutely. So everything all in, this vehicle came up to a grand total of around $108,000 after options. Now, this is, you know, if you've got the money for a Cadillac and you're looking for a, an SUV, or if you've got the money for a, a large SUV and you're looking for a luxurious experience, I should say, I think this is probably uh, one of the ones you should take a look at. Very nice vehicle all around, and uh, I would recommend it. Um, but again, do a test drive and test out some of the technology and make sure that you're comfortable with it because it is very uh, forward-looking in that regard. It is forward-looking. It's also really big. I'm surprised you didn't emphasize the size of this thing because uh, you often talk about vehicles that I think are kind of medium sizes. Wow, that was big. But uh, did it feel big to you? It did. And you know, the funny thing is it, it remained feeling that big for the entirety of the week. But with the sensors and, you know, some of the backup camera, the 360 view, uh, degree view camera system that it's got, it's uh, surprisingly easy to navigate parking lots and, and parking spaces. But the turning radius on the, the ESV especially, um, there's some embarrassing sort of 
five point turnarounds in parking lots and things like that. But I think people who buy these things go into it knowing that or expecting it. Um, probably big for me, but again, you know, if you need a three row there, it doesn't get much better. Yeah. Well, plenty of space. That's for sure. And a great towing vehicle, I think as well. Well, I was driving a vehicle that was uh, significantly smaller, but it is all new for 2022. It is the Hyundai Tucson. And you might not realize that the Hyundai Tucson is the biggest selling, the best selling Hyundai vehicle out there. I think largely aided by the fact that the compact crossover segment is so popular. Uh, I think it is the, the most popular segment in the country. There was really not a lot wrong with the previous edition Hyundai Tucson, but some might have said it was a little plain looking, uh, kind of generic crossover, and that it was a little small, and uh, Hyundai fixed both of those problems. It has grown by more than six inches in overall length. That is a real increase in length in the car business when uh, a couple inches seems like a a big increase to a lot of people. Thus, it has much more interior space, and I also think they have upped the styling quotient to where it is a good-looking vehicle. You could choose it for its good looks as opposed to going, well, yeah, it looks fine. You know, one of those fine things, like uh, when I come out with an outfit and ask my wife about it, and she says, oh, that's fine. You know, that's not, not a ringing endorsement. But I think Hyundai has a winner here because they've they kind of checked all the boxes. There's now a, uh, a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid is coming along. There's plenty of power from the uh, conventional vehicle. I had a chance to drive everything but the plug-in hybrid uh, during my time with the vehicle outside Tucson, Arizona. And just a lot to like about it. Uh, we talk a lot about infotainment on the show, so and I think a lot of people are interested in that. So I think Hyundai is doing a very wise thing. They actually... In, in many levels of the vehicle, of the Tucson, it has not just one, but two 10.25-inch touchscreens. So kind of uh, along the same lines as the Escalade, not as expansive, of course, but uh, using multiple uh, screens, display screens, to put information out there. One of the cool things about uh, the 10.25-inch, uh, let's say 10 and a quarter, let's say 10-inch uh, screen that's right in front of you uh, that is your instrument panel, is it's so bright and has such good resolution that they don't have to put a hood over it. Uh, so it's, you know, right out there uh, for God and all to see. And uh, I think that works kind of cool. I think it makes it look uh, much more modern. And even the basic Tucson has an 8-inch touchscreen system. So these are pretty good-sized screens there. Plenty of interior cargo room and interior room. It is had been one of the smallest in the class. Now it's one of the larger vehicles in the class. It offers more passenger volume than the RAV4 and the CRV. We talked about the RAV4 in the earlier segment, one of the most popular vehicles in the country. So I think for if you had a family of four, maybe with younger kids, maybe under 10 type of kids, this would be a great family vehicle for you. What's your take on that, Chris? I think Hyundai has done what Hyundai does best, and they've taken a relatively high-end feel and jammed it into a relatively budget-friendly vehicle. Uh, I love the styling on the outside. I think they've done a great job with it. The sort of futuristic pixelated look that they've gone for both with this and the new Ionic 5 is very attractive to me. I think maybe it's just the tech nerd, but you know, it's bigger than the RAV4, but a little bit smaller than the CRV. And I think they've done a, a, an excellent job packing, like I said, value into the price point. But to your point about screens, you know, 
Hyundai, there some people love to to knock them because their infotainment software is simple or or looks a little bit cartoony. But the effect of that is that it's extremely easy to use, especially when the vehicle's in motion. So once you get used to it, uh, there's not as much distraction to quickly you know do what you need to do and move on with life. Uh, I will say I wish you know to some degree that there were physical controls for things like climate uh, settings and and those sorts of things. But again, once you get used to it, it's there and it works. So no complaints from me. Yeah, and I think you point out the fact that uh, it is a simple-to-use infotainment system, and I think that's great, especially as you point out. You're using it when the vehicle is in motion, so the last thing you want is distractions, and I don't know that you need entertainment from the controls of your entertainment system. You just need it to work uh, and function well, so I think it, it does that very well. Uh, before we get out of this segment, let me tell you a little bit about powertrain in the vehicle. Uh, the base engine is a 2.5-liter, 187-horsepower four-cylinder. It's normally aspirated. Then, the and this was interesting to me, the, the hybrid powertrain uses a turbocharged 1.6-liter engine. A turbocharged in a hybrid is kind of an interesting take, but I, I think makes a lot of sense, actually. And it works with an electric motor to drive both front and rear wheels. All of their hybrids are four-wheel drive. And it has 226 horsepower combined, so uh, you know a lot more horsepower than the naturally aspirated version. And uh, you're going to get even more horsepower from the plug-in hybrid when it comes down the pike. I hadn't had a chance to drive that. So uh, I think we've got a, a couple winners here uh, in terms of vehicles we've tested. Uh, the Cadillac Escalade, of course, Escalated ESV, that is uh, a big vehicle and uh, kind of princely maybe kingly. And then uh, for those of us who are more on the, the commoner uh, class, like myself, uh, we have the Hyundai Tucson. Absolutely. There's a great choice. So there you have it. And when we come back, we will be taking your listener questions. We look forward to answering questions. Uh, we're going to go through the question file right now and pick some out. So stay with us, everybody. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you. And we're really happy you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Tech. We are back with you, and we're so happy you're with us. If you like the show, please pass it along to somebody who you think would like it. That makes sense. Don't pass it along to somebody you, who you think would hate it unless you really dislike that person. And Well, that's a whole different thing, and we don't want to get into passive-aggressive kind of stuff. But what we want to do is answer some listener questions. It's very easy to submit a listener question to us. You simply send us an email to editor at drivingtoday.com. That's editor at drivingtoday.com. And we will try and answer your question in an upcoming podcast and show. So look for that. And here is a question we have from uh, Ben. He's in New Jersey. And he's let us know he's in New Jersey, but not what town in New Jersey. So uh, that's a little tip if you want us to mention your town. Tell us what it is. Uh, but here's the question. Are, are there apps that can help me with my summer driving? It's just apps that you guys like as drivers that uh, help you uh, overall in driving. And you've got some takes on that, I'm sure, Chris. I do. And the first thing I'll say is this. Uh, my answer assumes that your vehicle doesn't have apps or navigation built in because many these days do. But one of my favorites is uh, no surprise to anyone who lives in a major metro area. It's Waze. And I, a lot of my friends in Los Angeles use it. Jack, you probably used it yourself, but it's very useful around here uh, because not only does it take you, uh, not only does it provide navigation directions, but it also alerts you to uh, traffic jams, police, construction, vehicles that stopped on the, stopped on the road and so on. And it's crowdsourced. So 
people who are traveling down the road before you are able to enter these things so that you can see them. And it's really useful, like I said, not only for navigating, but also helping you uh, stay out of trouble. Well, I would say except, (laughs) except, and uh, you probably don't run into this in Maine, but in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles area, you have to be a little cognizant of where it's taking you. Because very often it will send you into neighborhoods that maybe you don't really want to be driving in or don't want to be driving in at that particular time of day. Like I say, you probably don't run into that a lot in Maine, but there are places here where I just don't particularly want to be at at certain times anyway. And uh, maybe I'm just paranoid. Probably I am. I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) And so that's something to pay attention to, I think, if you're going to use that in an urban area. I can understand that. I I definitely have been in places where that is the case. So um, one thing to note is don't follow your your GPS or anything for that matter into an area that you don't feel safe in. But uh, going further with the app situation is uh, there's Gas Buddy. So uh, I've used this in the past. A a lot of vehicles I've tested recently have a gas uh, station locator or a charging station locator. But uh, this app will help you find the cheapest gas station near you, can help you map uh, stations along your route. And then finally, I'll say if you have children, which a lot of us do, or even if you just love music, which I do, um, keeping an app like Spotify or Apple Music uh, or even um, iHeartRadio, those sorts of things on your phone helps you stream. So you can stream music into the car without having to rely on what's on the radio. A lot of times you can skip around and download songs uh, like I have several Disney movie soundtracks stored on my phone at the moment for my kids uh, and Spotify and Apple Music both help me do that, especially with uh, podcasts and things as well. So uh, those two things, I think navigation and also entertainment are uh, important to, to take with you. And if you own a newer car, you, there's a great chance that you have some of these apps built in to your infotainment system already. So it may be even easier for you to use. Yeah. When, it ta- uh, when we're talking about audio apps or podcast apps, radio apps, uh, certainly we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. So uh, America on the Road is covered there. We're on virtually all the podcast platforms. So uh, you can not only find uh, music for your kids, and I don't know what this is going to do to the satellite-delivered uh, information that we get in our cars. Uh, they're hanging on. Sirius XM is, is still out there, but uh, they, they could be in, in for trouble given the amount of content that you can get from the various apps out there. Uh, well, when we come back, we will be speaking with Alexei Verneri. She is the founder, co-founder, and CEO of a company called Digital Airstrike. So stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack D. Red back with you, and we have a special guest with us. Alexi Verneri is uh, the founder and CEO of a company called Digital Airstrike. That's intriguing in and of itself, isn't it? So uh, we will find out uh, from her exactly what that means. But... Uh, uh, it's actually uh, quite an interesting company that uh, do many things both behind the scenes and now in front of the scenes uh, for people in the car car industry or people looking to buy a car. Alexi, number one, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Well, we'll see how exciting it is after 20 minutes or so, <laughs> but we'll, we'll try, and I'm, I'm sure you will be exciting, and I'll try and hold up my end. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about uh, Digital Airstrike. Uh, how you came to found it and, and uh, you know, what it is. Sure. Well, we I founded the company back in the recession when it was really the birth of social media networks. And as a lifelong marketer, I was fascinated by 
you know, all these consumers, including myself, engaging with other consumers. And it was the start of online reviews, really. And I found that it was really difficult for businesses to, first of all, even know what consumers were saying about their industry or their business specifically, and then engage with consumers and be super helpful and transparent. So that's why I started the company, to really develop consumer-friendly technology where we would help businesses engage wherever the consumers want to be. I mean, why do businesses force consumers or car buyers to go to their website, you know, and chat or engage with them in the way that the business wants? Why not open up the tools to the consumers and make it easy for them to get the information they want when they want it and how they want it? So that's really how it started. Um, you know, I've, I've always felt that the car buying process could be a lot easier and really developing technology over the years to do that is, has been my goal. And it did start with with social media and seeing that, unfortunately, back at the time, it was mostly unhappy customers leaving negative reviews. But you never really heard enough about people that would have a great experience. And you never really knew how businesses were resolving maybe some of the negative you know, experiences that may not have been their fault. So that's really where it started. How could how could we play a part um, somewhat covertly? So uh, we're behind the scenes. We're kind of helping almost like digital uh, air traffic controllers, helping businesses and dealerships and manufacturers know what consumers are saying, but ultimately it benefits the consumer because we are providing a voice from those consumers to the industry and then making sure that the businesses, dealers and manufacturers respond and take care of consumers. Do you work strictly in the car industry or do you do this for other types of businesses in other industries? Great question. We started in the car industry, but we've absolutely expanded. Um, we, we are in other industries, really wherever someone is going to spend a lot of time researching, and it's kind of a high ticket you know, purchase, but the majority of our clients are in automotive. And how have you been able to help your clients? How have you, and, and really, I think by helping your clients, you're connecting them with consumers and, and, and maybe making things that were wrong right or misunderstanding into something that's understood. Talk a bit about that, would you? Exactly. Um, what we found is, you know, I think there's unfortunately some, some very inaccurate stereotypes out there still about car dealers. And the vast majority and all the ones we work with, I mean, they're amazing. They're, they're oftentimes family run. They're in your neighborhood. They do care about great service. They're not just some national retailer, you know, shipping you something and you, you can never get somebody on the phone. They're really there to help. And they do want the car buying experience to be transparent. It's it's very different these days. Um, they don't make money when they sell you a new car. They they really are there to help. Um, there are incentives and different things from the manufacturers to get them to sell certain things. But but by and large, they're they're very collaborative and they want the car buyers and consumers to be happy. So that's the first thing. But they tend to be people people. That's why they're always wanting to get you down to the dealership or or talk on the phone. And just the fact that so many consumers today want to text or chat, or maybe they're looking for their, their vehicles on Facebook Marketplace, or they want to see a, a YouTube video first, that's where we come into play because we really understand technology and consumers. And we started, you know, 11 years ago, we were just listening to the consumers. We were in the chat rooms and reading the reviews and and then trying to almost translate back to the industry to say, hey, they want it to be easy. They, they just... They don't want to feel pressured. They want to get their questions resolved and they want to know you have their back if there's ever an issue with the car. So we really kind of communicate and use our technology to put consumers at ease and make the car buying process a lot easier. 
You know, there's a lot of talk about the term transparency in the industry, right? And everybody is claiming that uh, they like transparency and want transparency. How does that really manifest itself? I mean, define for us transparency, would you? And tell us how that that plays into this this industry. I think that um, historically, sometimes when people would make an inquiry, let's say on a vehicle, and just say, hey, do you have this on the lot still? And do you have anything else like it? Believe it or not, some of the car salespeople just didn't know. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, come on down. But they wouldn't actually give you all the information, you know, as a consumer you wanted up front. Partially, it was just hard to know. Big car lots, they didn't have an easy way to know what was available. They couldn't quickly calculate a price. They maybe didn't know your credit score. So what our technology does to make it more transparent and and really easy for the consumer is depending on how much or how little the consumer wants to give, uh, they don't even have to give their full name. They could just give an email or even not at all. They could go in our um, AI messaging bots that are on Facebook Marketplace or on the dealership's website, like a chat bot, and just say, hey, this is the vehicle I'm interested in or I'm looking at something like this. And our technology will just go and, and automatically pull what's available that matches that criteria. If a certain payment or price point or you want to know what incentives are available, you know, is there an incentive for a college grad as well as, you know, I, I've got great credit and I can qualify for the manufacturer financing or maybe my credit's not that great, but I still want to know what I qualify for. What's so great is our technology now, you know, almost a decade of us developing this. We can answer those questions for that consumer in a very transparent way immediately. And they've got options and they can see multiple different vehicles that might be, you know, under warranty or not or certain price points, mileage. So that that's kind of what we look at with transparency um, by leveraging the technology and getting answers quickly and putting the control in the hands of the consumer. They feel empowered. There's not the games. And really, I don't think dealers, at least recently, have not been trying to play games. It was just harder for them to know what was available at any given moment. And uh, we, we really make that easier and it even benefits the dealership. So some of our clients use our technology just themselves to quickly do a check of inventory and price and payment. So if they are on the phone with a the consumer, they've got a very quick way to get them answers. And they're demanding more and more, aren't they? I mean, a lot of times like a, a dealer would suggest that somebody come in uh, because they wanted to see them. And once they got them in the door, they thought, well, odds are we can sell them something, right? And that was the old way, I think, of, of doing business in the car business. Mm-hmm. And now people don't want to spend that time. They don't want to just enter blindly into a, a dealership relationship. And I think you're there to facilitate a lot more openness about what's available and how much and all of those things. I, am I characterizing that correctly? Yeah, we actually are involved in about 40% of all sales or service inquiries in North America right now, which is pretty cool. And consumers don't know because we, we will brand our responses or the quotes as the, as the dealership. Um, but that's exactly right. And, and we just try to make it easier. And I'll tell you with COVID hitting, you know, certainly even more so consumers didn't want to go down to a dealership, right? So part of it was helping the, the manufacturers and consumers communicate and the dealers and say, hey, we'll bring it to you, no pressure. Um, a lot of the dealerships would have, you know, no questions asked, return policies, a test drive at home, just communicating their cleaning practices and how they sanitize the vehicles now. And so ultimately, I think it, it helped both consumers and the dealerships get more comfortable using technology when there was, you know, a big roadblock about coming into the store. Now, now even with COVID, certainly consumers are coming in, but they're going to spend less time. So they want to research, get everything all lined up, get the paperwork, and maybe 
their last step is coming in just to see it, touch it. Maybe they want to just, you know, even sign the paperwork outside. Um, or really all of our dealers will bring those vehicles to that consumer's home with no pressure, no questions asked, and they could always say no. So that that's the change. And I think it's a fantastic change. It is, there is going to be some good things coming out of COVID. I think it helped everyone embrace technology more and, you know, technology brings transparency. Absolutely true. And uh, the desire not to spend uh, half a day in the car dealership, I think will extend well beyond uh, the COVID uh, epidemic, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm sh- sure you agree with that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit. You, you've, acqu- you've acquired a company called BestRide.com. And so you have some now consumer-facing, uh, or at least a consumer-facing brand that you never had before. You were operating behind the scenes. Tell us a bit about that and how that fits into your whole scheme of things. That's right. Well, thank you for asking. So BestRide.com has actually been around for about 10 years. And it was really um, technology and a site that was leveraged by about 200 local newspapers. Um, so local, but across the country, right? Regional newspapers where dealerships would use this site to get their information on, let's say, uh, you know, Detroit radio website, right? Um, if they just wanted to see what was available. So many uh, in the automotive industry advertise, let's say through radio or local, local media publications that sometimes it's easy just to see what's available in my market all on one site. So we've been able to still continue to partner with all of those newspaper entities and and media entities. And we've now taken over the site because we've got some great ideas on how we're going to expand it and make it very consumer friendly. Um, We think there's a a lot of things consumers want. And because we do have this great site and we've been listening to them for so long, we're going to add a lot of features on there, such as at a glance, which one of the dealers, you know, will do test drives at home. Um, at a glance, tell me about all the reviews from that vehicle and also that dealership from all the review sites. Maybe not just the one I happen to be on right now to save the consumer time. Maybe that consumer doesn't even want the lead to go to the dealership, but they want to just have some time to inquire about different vehicles and get a personalized price quote sent to them. Not only the vehicle they're interested in, but multiple similar vehicles that we could send them before we even share their information with a dealership so they don't get bombarded with calls and emails. So just again, making it very, very consumer friendly. Um, we've also got a vision where, you know, it's called Best Ride. And why does it just have to be vehicles? <laughs> you know, it could be rides of all kinds. So um, a lot of ideas around, around how we're going to evolve the site. We're looking at best practices from all the other sites out there, but even some internationally. There are just some very transparent, consumer-friendly sites that we're going to be modeling. So we've uh, just made the acquisition. We're, we're in discussion and uh, focus groups right now with consumers and dealers. But we look to this year roll out some really exciting features. Yeah, well, I can't wait to see that. As a, a, a veteran of uh, uh, putting car information in front of people online, uh, I'd love to see yes. what, you, what you're planning to do there because uh, there's a lot of things that can be done that haven't been done. And a lot of things that can yeah. make this much, much better for the consumer. So I'm interested. Send us your ideas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. all ears. We yeah. love it. How does the consumer access Best Ride now? Or is this a good time for them to, uh, to access it? Or should they wait a while until uh, you have even more for them? You know, they could go on it right now. It's bestride.com. One thing that you'll see is we have, uh, even though this, this acquisition just happened, we've added our AI chatbot on, on the site. And we actually have a team of, we kind of call them like consumer concierge, that if somebody wants to be contacted by a member of our team, just to talk to us, no pressure. 
we don't make money selling cars. We don't sell the cars. We're just really here to make sure the consumers have a great experience. They will find that available on the site right now. Um, they could certainly, you know, try us out in that regard. And uh, absolutely, we will match them to dealers, uh, you know, across the country or in their market. It is interesting. So many dealers will even ship vehicles now. You know, you think about the companies like Vroom and Carvana. Those vehicles are not necessarily local. Why should you be restricted to just looking at, you know, inventory in your market if you're open to having to buy a vehicle online and having it shipped to you? And I, I absolutely know the best vehicles are actually with the dealerships because they service them, they recondition them. Even if it's a dealership in another city or state, you will just get a much better vehicle and a much better deal on best ride working with uh you know dealerships across the country so that's that's what we're seeing and we encourage consumers to check it out and it's just going to continue to grow in terms of functionality and uh, right now i think there's almost three million vehicles on the site so it's uh, certainly got a lot of options for anybody that's interested connecting consumers with the actual vehicle on the on the ground that they can buy and and take home i think is the holy grail in this business and uh, this business hasn't been so great in doing that all the time, but uh, it sounds like you're you're well on your way to making that happen in a in a pretty transparent way. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited about it. We've just spent so long listening to consumers and building out technology to kind of fill in the gaps where the process might have been, you know, have a little friction, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, really make it better for consumers. And when we help consumers, the dealers win too because. They uh, they get happier consumers, and there there really is less for the dealership to do. They can have us, you know, answer a lot of the questions because we are working so closely with the dealerships. I mean, efficiency goes way way up for the dealer if uh, the consumer has the right expectations going in, right? If if they are a long way apart, you're going to spend a lot of time and and maybe never reach agreement. But if the people are largely in alignment, uh, alignment even before the consumer enters the dealership, uh, you've got you're well on your way to making a deal happen that's going to be mutually beneficial. So, I agree. You got it. <laughs> yeah, I've been around this for a while, so I, I kind of <laughs> get how this works. Let's talk a bit about dealer reviews. Uh, that's a kind of an interesting topic. I think a lot of people look at uh, consumer reviews of dealerships, and at, at the same time, I think there's some skepticism about dealer reviews out there. Uh, what's your take on all that? So we were actually one of the first, uh, probably the first vendor in automotive you know, 11 years ago that built the first dealership centric surveys that would be sent out to consumers. So not just the survey you might get from the manufacturer, like a Toyota or Honda, but you know, ABC Honda would send you a survey. And what we did is we made it a secure survey environment where we only pulled consumer data out of their secure dealer management system, following all privacy considerations, um, opt outs, all those things and made sure there was no gaming of the system where we would then on behalf of the dealers, and we still do it today, survey consumers. And right within that survey platform, giving consumers control. So if they had a great experience or they wanted to turn something into online review, they could do that right from the survey and know that it would be sent directly from our secure servers into and to that review site. Or if they just wanted the owner of the dealership to see it, we've got, a again, a whole team of people and technology to make sure that if the consumer is a concern or problem, it's handled. So again, really kind of being stewards of the process. Um, and then just the nature of the fact that we do work with all the review sites and all the social networks for so long. Uh, if anything weird happens or, or, you know, we just wouldn't within our survey environment, but if we were monitoring 
for maybe suspicious content, good or bad. Um, we absolutely have, have real people at those social networks and review sites where we can, you know, kind of work with them to make sure the content is all accurate. It's verified. Um, and, you know, it, it's really helpful to consumers moving forward. Yeah. And, and making sure that that is accurate and verified and <laughs> it really represents consumer opinion as opposed to uh, others' opinion, uh, I think is fairly valuable, isn't it? Yeah. We've seen all sorts of crazy things, though. I mean, we've seen, you know, competitors try to jump on and write a whole bunch of fake reviews that we were able to track down by sourcing IPs and get removed. And so, you know, the most important thing, again, back to where we started, transparency, accuracy. And I think it's important when it's, you know, secure and verified consumer data that you feel confident that, oh, this consumer really did buy from this dealer and this is real feedback. So I think it, that's helpful. And then we also help the, the dealers and businesses with their responses. You know, we want to make sure that this content is seen, but they respond as well. So that consumer can, you know, know what happens next. It just doesn't go out into the ether. That's uh, you're anticipating my next question, actually, which is uh, <laughs> if I'm a consumer, I guess I am a consumer. We all are if we're lucky and have yes. some, some money to spend. And I have a, an issue with a dealer. What's my best way to get it resolved? What, what would you advise people to do? I think it really kind of depends on your status as a consumer and, and you know, where you are in the buying process. So um, we like to immediately, same day, if you've bought or serviced a vehicle, send you feedback. And if you were to answer one of our surveys, either by email or text, we make sure that general manager, the, the most senior person at the dealership would see it. So I would encourage anyone to fill out those surveys. Oftentimes, dealers will put their staff contact information you could call you want to talk to directly to a general manager. Um, so those are all ways that, that it can happen. But really our tools elevate, I think, the awareness around the, the content. So even if you were on Best Ride or on one of our dealer's sites that have our AI chatbots, we run reports. We have our own client advocates that reach out to the businesses and say, hey, did you see this feedback? And the other thing that's cool, it's not just negative. Um, we have a platform we call Mission Control. And we know because we, we plug in, in into the secure database to show who, who purchased in the transaction and serviced, who helped them. So we actually know who the great employees are, too, which I think we want to celebrate the good folks and model after them. So we, we can, in a report, tell an owner of a business, who's your four-star employee? Who's your five-star employee? You know, let's make sure you give them some kudos. You don't want to lose that person, right? Or what are they doing that they're having so many happy customers? Maybe they need to be training other people in your store. So it's it's kind of looking at it again with transparency and holistically. So we're not just focused on the squeaky wheel. But when there is an issue, it also gets resolved. Well, then it would be helpful for consumers to know who those superstar salespeople are or service people are and uh, be able to deal with them, too. So that's this an opportunity, I think, to put that information. Yeah, I do, that I do think there's interest in branding some of the individuals and, and their success. Um, but reading reviews, I would always recommend to consumers. And, and that's one of the reasons why on Best Ride, we want to really give them a way to see content about that dealership holistically, not just what happens to be on that one page that they might be looking at. So that is part of our strategy moving forward that you can really request and even a little bit of matchmaking, right? Maybe you feel more comfortable as a, as a female buying from a female, or you want to work with somebody that's a real product expert in the vehicle that you're looking to buy that sold the most, I don't know, Priuses last month. So um, they probably really know the vehicle. So some of those features and making it again, consumer driven preference and transparency, even around individuals in the dealership is really important. So you've, you've hit another one on the head there of what we're looking to do. 
Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, you know, we're running out of time for our interview, but is there anything that uh, you would like to put out in front of the consumers who are about to buy cars, many of them listening to America on the Road, that they should know? What is a, a tip or a trick or just something that you think that they should know before we sign off on your, our interview for today? Sure. I would let them know that the more information you can share with the dealership, the better, because they really do have your best interest at heart. They make their money if you're a long-term customer and you come back for service and you have a great experience. In fact, the manufacturers have incentives around how well you rank them in those surveys. And that's really where they make their money. So um, just know you are getting a great price buying from a dealership and we're going to be uh we're going to be getting that word out in a much bigger way throughout the year so consumers know all the options and that uh, they're very comfortable and that they do get the best vehicle from the best dealership possible well very good advice and i appreciate that alexi venere of uh digital airstrike thanks so much for being with us we really appreciate it thank you sir this was fun and uh if anyone has questions they want more tips just go on best ride chat with us chat with us with the online chat you can reach us directly um, we're, we're all available to help. We love this industry. We're, we're so happy that things are starting to get better. And we love it when consumers and dealerships and businesses embrace technology to do more online. I love it. I love it. You should be a marketer. You're pretty good at it. Uh, <laughs> Go figure. I might yeah. have done that once or twice before. Yeah, exactly. But it's because I believe in it that the passion comes through. <laughs> it's true. Yes. So uh, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. And when we come back, we will have more right here on America on the Road. And that was our interview with Alexei Verdari. She's co-founder of a company called Digital Airstrike, as you learned. And uh, what a lot of interesting things uh, she, uh, she and her company have put together, including the acquisition of bestride.com, uh, an automotive marketplace out there. We'll have to check that out and spend more time with that. We always love having Chris Teague with us as co-host. Chris, thanks so much for being with us. And not just giving the weather report in Maine, but your insightful comments about vehicles and what's going on in the auto industry. We appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. And I will thank everyone who is listening for joining us. I will also say, as I usually do, if you like what you heard, please go ahead and hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. As Jack said before, uh, we are all over the map and available almost everywhere you can get a podcast. Uh, that will help us continue to grow and bring more people along for the ride. Please pass this along to somebody you think might like the show. We'd love that. We'd, I'd love to have you check out my book, The GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule. It's available wherever you buy books or, or darn near, so check that out. And uh, thanks so much to Mercury Insurance for helping to sponsor the show. And most of all, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Without you, there's no reason that we would do this at all, and we love doing it. So thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. We do appreciate it. For Chris Teague, this is Jackie Rad. hoping you'll join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.